Angel. Okay. Hey, okay. I did need the lights on, but they're in my eyes and I can't hardly see you, but that's okay because I'm going to do this like I practiced to my painting of um, hummingbirds in my back room. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, I was given the opportunity, the um, privilege of talking to you a little bit about health. Um, and what does the Bible say about health? For thousands of years, the ancient biblical text has been fought over, used to condemn and uplift populations, and is widely acknowledged as the authority of the Christian faith in regard to um, faith and spirituality. But what, if anything, does it say about health? What, if anything, is there a practical application to the lives that we lead? So just a little bit about me. For the last 30-plus years, I've been working in the illness care in industry, and I use that with utmost respect because in hospital, we deal with illness. We don't actually make people healthy. We patch up their illness, send them home for them to muddle their way through, hoping they get the right messages about health. So a few years ago, I started a journey um, away from hospital care and into secondary prevention and was introduced to the concept of lifestyle medicine by a colleague of mine. And so I have been learning and studying in that area for the last 10 years or so. And whew, there's, there's a lot of information out there. But what I want to try and do for you today is strip it back to what the Bible says. Take away, I'll give you some science, but I want to strip it back to what the Bible says. Now, those of you who have had much to do with the Adventist Church for any period of time know that we have a long heritage of a health message. It's often been called the right arm of our church. Sadly, to some degree, that has been rejected a little bit by modern Adventists and with a little bit of good reason. Having mixed in these circles for a period of time and hearing things like, I'm training my taste buds for heaven. Um, that whole concept of in a twinkling of an eye, our whole bodies will change. Doesn't it seem to our taste buds? And our taste buds really only taste sweet, sour, bitter, bitter, salty and umami. They don't taste vegetables. They don't taste meat. And then uh, the most damaging is you won't go to heaven if you eat meat. <coughs> um, was Jesus not wanting his disciples to go to heaven when he fed them fish on the beach? Was he not wanting the entire nation of Israel to go to heaven when he instructed them to eat lamb at Passover? So I take a deep breath and enter this subject with a little bit of trepidation because there are so many mixed messages and um, hopefully we can sort a few of them out. Oh. It doesn't want to work. Should be not on. Oh, that might work. There we go. John 10.10 10 tells us that Jesus said that he has come that we might have life and have it to the full. A full life includes health. It includes wellness. So, let's get on to what our culture says. In, okay. Yeah, I am. Ah, 
1948, the World Health Organization defined health as a complete physical and mental and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. In 1984, there was added to that the extent to which an individual or group is able to realise aspirations and satisfy needs and to change or cope with the environment. Health is a resource for everyday life and the objective of living. It is a positive concept emphasising social and personal resources as well as physical capacity. And in 2007, there was another addition made. The achievement of any state in the promotion and protection of health is of value to all of us. So what does the Bible tell us about living to the full? Tiny bit more science. Being mixed up in lifestyle medicine for a time, soon come across what we call the blue zones. They are five very specific areas in the world where there is a high percentage of centenarians, people who live well through into their ninth and tenth decades. Moving across the globe, we'll start at Japan. So the Okinawa in Japan boasts the longest living women in the world, many surpassing 100. Moving across to um, Ikaria in Greece, this, their lifestyle promotes, propels one in three people live into their 90s, often free of dementia and chronic disease. Off to Italy, Sardinia has the highest concentration of male centenarians in the world. This, po this population also is gifted with the M26 marker, which is an a, a genetic variant to extreme longe longevity. But as we go through the markers for what defines a blue zone, we'll see some other things. Down to Costa Rico, there is um, a place called Nicoya. And Nicoyans stay mentally and spiritually fulfilled to the age of 90 and beyond. Now, those four areas are very ethnically and culturally similar. The last blue zone is the only blue zone in Northern America. These people are culturally and ethnically diverse. They have one thing in common. It is the community of Loma Linda in Southern California. The big thing these people have in common is a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists. And the Adventists in Loma Linda live 10 years longer than their fellow Americans. So what do these, what are the nine things that characterise people in the blue zone? What do they do to make them different from the rest of the world? For a start, they move naturally. Moving just normally throughout the day, walking, gardening, doing housework, it's a core part of what they do. They have purpose. The Okinawans call it, now if someone speaks Japanese, you'll probably get it better than I do, Ikigai. The Nikoyans call it planta vida. Knowing why you wake up in the morning makes you healthier, happier, and adds up to seven years of life expectancy. They also have a downshift. Stress is part of life, but these centenarians have discovered a way of having building stress-relieving rituals into their life. Adventists pray, Ikanaurans nap, 
and Sardinians do happy hour. <laughs> they have what's called the 80% rule. These people stop eating when their stomachs are 80% full. And they have their smallest e meal in the early evening. They have a plant slant. Beans are the cornerstone of diet. Vegetables, fruits and whole grains round out the rest of their diet. And meat is only eaten in very small amounts. Now, this next one is the science. I'm not advocating this, but wine at five. This is a regular and moderate consumption of wine in the presence of food and friends. Now, also belonging, being part of a faith-based community actually adds 14 years to life expectancy. Loved ones first, strong family connections, spouses, parents, grandparents, grandchildren. These are quite common. And the last one, right tribe. The world's longest living people have close friends and strong social networks. So, going with all that, why is this group called Seventh-day Adventists in the Blue Zones? What do we know? I'm going to walk through a few of the things that God has given us in the Bible that can help us live a little bit longer. So... Health is, oh, I haven't got enough hands here. Health is fully interconnected. Everything we do in our lives, and this is the beauty of lifestyle medicine since I've been involved in it. You cannot deal with one aspect of a person's lifestyle without impacting every other part. Doctors, with all due respect, tend to be siloed, and they'll give you a pill to cure X, and give you side effects, but you have to make another pill to cure the side effects of the pill that you got for X. But they don't tend to look at the entire picture, whereas in lifestyle medicine, you can't help. And that's what I want you to see as we go through. Our sleep affects our diet and exercise. How we sleep affects what we eat and our stress levels and our relationships. So the first aspect I'm going to have a look at, which is a probably a fairly strange place to start, but cleanliness, big. What does the Bible say about cleanliness? And to find out what the Bible says about cleanliness, you really need to wade through the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is a book chock full of rules for sanctuary services, for priests, for interrelationships, but it also has some really amazing information in regard to containing... Um, contagious diseases, what to do with human waste. The Israelites were instructed, don't, don't um, leave your waste in the camp. Take your dug, those of you with pathfinders will know that. Take your dug, go outside the camp and bury it. What do you do with dead bodies? How the pe people who had dealt with dead bodies were excluded from worship until they were clean. There are a host of rules there and I wasn't going to pull them all out and identify them all. But God gave the, in the Israelites instructions on how to keep their camp clean. They were a vast number of people in a desert for minimum water, minimum ability to maintain sanitation, but God gave them details on how to do that. And would you believe the concept of hand washing in hospitals is a very short 150 years old. And doctors... I've learnt it from nurses. Yay, nurses. 
it took them it took someone looking at the concept of going why is there a higher mortality rate in the doctor's wards delivery wards than there are in the midwife delivery wards they thought nothing of doing an autopsy and dealing with a dead body and going and delivering a babel, baby and then wonder, hmm, why are, our, why are our patients dying? Why are our mothers and babies dying? So it was, it's only been a very short time. And when you're dealing with um, hygiene, uh, hand hygiene in hospitals, doctors are still on the lower rank than nurses. So, all right. So in the society that we live in, Cleanliness isn't so much of an issue. We we have really good sanitation. We uh, we we tend to try and isolate contagious diseases. Um, but I wanted to start there because I wanted you to see that God has given us some really practical advice when it comes to how to look after our health. So. Let's wade into some of the more relevant lifestyle aspects. So sleep and rest. God has given us a 24-hour cycle that involves sleep and rest. We have messed with that to a certain degree with the invention of electricity. Um, we can stay awake 24 hours a day if we need to. We can have bright lights that make midnight like daylight, whether it's in your home, in a sporting field, wherever. But God gave us right at the beginning a 24-hour cycle. When the sun goes down, when once upon a time the only light was a very warm, low light of candles, it helped that, that sunset um, yellow helps our brain start producing melatonin, which helps us sleep. We mess with that when we have bright electric lights on in our home. But the other thing that God gave us was a weekly cycle of rest. Now, if you look at the, the cycles of life, the seven-day week has no natural phenomena other than the week of creation. Our year is governed by the Earth's journey around the sun. Our months are governed by the, month's journey, uh, the moon's journey around the earth and our day is governed by the 24 hours it takes the earth to rotate but a seven day week is only based in creation and god gave us that so in the beginning we're going right back to genesis god said god finished his work and he rested on the seventh day why did god need to rest speaking the world into existence and molding a man was not exactly backbreaking work. God then blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy because he rested and he wanted us to do the same. He established it way back in creation. And when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them... Oh, what am I doing? Grace. Ah, he gave them back the seventh day sabbath he said remember i told you this a long time ago it's been part of history for the longest time remember the sabbath day to keep it holy you've got six days to do all your work but on the seventh day i want you to take a break not only yourself but your servants your children your animals and even the visitor who's standing with you so god blessed it and made it holy and he had good reason for that 
most of us can probably bring to mind either a time in our own lives or someone we know who has burned a candle at both ends, who is 24-7, seven days a week, on the go. It doesn't take long for us to burn out in those circumstances. We can sustain it for a time. And having been a shift worker for the better part of two decades, yeah, you can sustain it for a while. But your family soon find out that it's not the best idea. And I say that respectfully without my children here, but with my husband here to say, yeah, mum wasn't always the nicest person when she was sleep deprived. So when we don't rest, our our relationships certainly tend to suffer. But on the same strain, we eat differently when we're tired. We eat, we exercise differently. If we can't, if we're too tired to move, we're not going to get out and exercise. And that in turn is going to affect how we sleep. So right along with sleep and rest is exercise and work. God gave Adam work right from the very beginning. Even in a perfect world, God gave Adam work. God told Adam to rule over the fish of the sea, to birds in the sky, and every living creature. He also put him, oh, put him in a garden and gave him work to care for it. This was even before the, f- the fall. This prior to Adam and Eve's sin, God gave them work. They were not meant to be idle. In a perfect world, we are meant to work. I was actually watching the little ones um, during the beginning. Movement is an imperative. We actually have to learn to sit still. We are born moving. We are born with the physical imperative to be moving. And that's the way God made us. So sitting still and doing nothing is actually goes against everything, everything biological in our body. But we, we live in a world where most of us possibly work in very sedentary roles. We sit at a desk anything up to eight hours with often, for some people, very little chance to get outside into the sun and moving. And so we have had to create opportunities to move and that's an important part of our lives. So exercise was born because we're not, wor- we're not moving. We're not... Um, creating an environment that we we need so we exercise and we encourage everyone to exercise but that is tends to be more on the artificial side than what um, particularly when you look at the blue zones movement is a natural part of their world but next best thing is creating those opportunities for movement and once again that interconnectedness if we're not moving we're not sleeping, we may not eat well. Um, everything is connected. And I think I've thrown my ball around because I can't touch it. Can't, I've got too many hands. So, all right. So, we've covered a couple. Moving on. Relationships. Relations are complex. Doesn't take long for us to be on this earth before we realise that relationships are complex. But God knew right from the very beginning 
that we needed relationships. So back to Genesis. God said, it's not good for me to, for man to be alone and I'll make a helper suitable for him. So marriage is just one of the relationships that God has given us. But we have families. And I know as parents, we absolutely love this verse. Children, obey your parents. Honour your father and mother. It's the first, first um, commandment with promise. We sometimes stop there, though, because the next verse says, whoops, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Notice he said fathers. Sorry, dads. <laughs> Instead, bring them up in the faith and training and instruction of the Lord. So that whole family dynamic is a two-way street. As Yes, we love the fact that God has told our children to obey us, but he's also instructed parents to treat their children with gentleness. He also gives us instructions via Paul on our relationships with the people around us. These two women were obviously at loggerheads. So Paul has said, please get on the same page. Please fix up whatever's going on. And he's also asking the people around them to support them in creating that relationship again because these women had worked by his side and now something had happened. And Paul is admonishing the church to help them sort it out, help them get back on track and create that relationship. So families, um, interpersonal relationships and our church community relationship. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as it's closing the uh, as the day approaches and that day being the day that Christ is coming back for us. So Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews is admonishing us Stick together, stick together as a faith community. And you saw that in the um, Blue Zones. Strong spiritual community adds 14 years of life expectancy and good quality life expectancy. And last but not least, oh, hey, where are we? We, good girl, come on. God is desiring a relationship with himself. I've taken this tiny bit out of context, but it seems to me that it was God's practice to actually go in the cool of the evening and spend time with Adam and Eve. God was craving a relationship with them at that time. That was taken away. And the whole trajectory, the whole theme of the Bible is God trying to re-establish that relationship with us and encouraging us to re-establish that relationship with him. In John, he's saying, don't be troubled. My father's house has many rooms and I'm going there. I'm preparing a place for you because I want you there with me. I want to take you home. The whole Bible is just thread after thread of God trying to get back an established relationship with his people, every single person. Which leads us very nicely on to our next connector, stress. What 
happens if our stress in our life gets out of control. We need those breakpoints. We need those downtimes. And stress is absolutely necessary. The stress of having to present this got me moving a month ago to actually start doing these slides. It got me out of bed this morning to do some practice. <laughs> the stress required to get yourself to work gets you out of bed in the morning. The stress required to feed your family gets you into the kitchen and to the grocery store or into the garden, wherever you get your food from. So we have to have stress in our lives or we would stay in bed and be like jellyfish. So what happens though when stress is overwhelming? Well, it does impact every part of it. But what has God says, as we said, as we referring back to the blue zones, each of these blue zones had a way of dealing with stress from happy hour to prayer and everything in between. So these are some oldies but some goodies because they cannot possibly go out of fashion. Cast your care upon him because he cares for you. I learnt it in the old days. Matthew tells us, Come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Knowing where to put our stress helps us deal with it. And finally, one of my favourites is, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be in your heart and minds. Stress is a part of our life. We have to deal with it. We have to face it. But God will take it. So, yes, come on. Very good. Nutrition. Left this to last. Because I've faced this with a great deal of trepidation. Um, because no one diet works for everyone. But what I want to give you is some practical examples of what God's principles tell us about how to eat. So, back to the beginning. God said, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that bear with fruit with seeds in it. And to all the animals, I've given every green plant for food. At the very beginning, God gave us a plant-based diet. Something happened and that changed. And this is just my opinion, but after the flood, Noah and his family were given permission to start eating animals. God put the fear and dread on the animals and said that um, all the animals I've given you to eat the same way I gave you green plants. I just wonder, there's a tiny little connection there, because before the flood, the patriarchs were living to 900 plus years. Something happened after the flood because we see a dramatic decrease in the lifespan of the patriarchs. By the time we get to Abraham and Moses, we are looking at just over 100 years, 130, 120 years. By the time we reach David, his statement says, three score and 10 years are allocated to man. That's 70 years. That's less than one-tenth of what the patriarchs were living before the flood. As I said, it's an aside. It's my opinion. But I just, I just wonder. 
whether that is the connection. But we can't talk about nutrition without talking about Daniel. Daniel was a Jewish Hebrew young man who was um, sent as a captive to the court of Nebuchadnezzar. While there, he was put into the university and in all the goodness of the king, they were fed from the king's table, so all the richest food. But Daniel and his friends stood up and said, can we not have that? Can we eat just a simple diet of vegetables and pulses? Now the the chief official actually in fear of having his head chopped off if they didn't um, weren't healthy finally agreed to a 10-day trial that 10-day whoops ooh, back one more one more okay um, okay so at the end of 10 days what they found is they looked healthier they were better nourished than the other young men who'd been eating the royal food and so the guard said, fine, you're right, go for it. We'll take away all that rich fo- food. You can have the simple diet that you are w- asking for. So at the end of their university time, they were tested by the king and they were found to be have no equal in Daniel and his friends. In fact, they were found to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. So, what we are finding in modern science, so I'll go back and give you a little bit of science, and a couple of weeks ago I was actually at Lifestyle Medicine Conference, which I've been going to for quite a few years now, and in science we're learning that we are host to or we are overwhelmed by um, bacteria. There are more bacterial cells in our gut than there are cells in our bodies. So are we host or are we, who knows? Um, And there's some amazing work that's being done in the area of the microbiome, its impact on our health. But how do we keep that healthy? There is an amazing doctor that nearly freaked me out the first time I heard him talking about fecal transplants and now he's developed... um, capsules, yes, you heard that correctly, and transpositions. He's amazing to listen to. (laughs) But after one of the sessions one afternoon, there was a panel, and at the end of the panel discussion and questions, each of the presenters was asked to sum up the information that they felt was important for us to take away about the microbiome. And very succinctly, one of them said, how many times do we have to tell people to eat your veggies and your fibre? Because our microbiome thrives on good, healthy fibre. We need that. We can, and once, once it's gone, that's when we get into the capsules and the transfusions. But up until that time, we can keep our healthy microbiome by eating good quality real food that is predominantly be- plant-based, not spin a fibre in a glass of water, actual nutritious fibre from plants. So, there are so many things that I haven't 
covered. Um, and I actually said to my husband, my time frame will depend on how nervous I am, so I think it's a bit shorter than what I did it when I practiced it at home. But essentially, every part of our lifestyle impacts some other part. And God has given us so much wonderful information into how to keep us healthy. But there are two things I wanted to leave you with. So the first, first is, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is so important because the failing that I've seen in some deliveries of our health message over the years is this: your salvation is dependent on how healthy you are, what you eat, what you drink, or what you don't eat and what you don't drink. And that scares me, and it has scared a lot of people away from being healthy. The world out there is taking up a plant-based diet at a rate we will never understand. All my life I have worked in non-church institutions. I currently work in a team of six people. Three of us are vegetarians. I have never worked in an environment with even one other vegetarian. Three of us in a team of six are vegetarians, all for different reasons. But the world out there is taking this up at a rate of knots. Last one that I want to leave you with, 1 Corinthians 10.3. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Thank you.